Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in the seventh chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 36th verse. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bitten him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Uh, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is good, isn't it, to be here in God's house this morning to have the privilege of worshiping him I am glad to be back, and I hope that you are glad also that we may worship our Lord at this time. Today, as you know, is the 11th Sunday after Trinity, and the text that I just read tells about an occurrence that took place up in Galilee, about 100 miles from Jerusalem, down in Judea. Just where it took place in Galilee, we are not told, but the text tells us that a certain Pharisee, a holier-than-thou individual by the name of Simon, invited Jesus to dine with him. And a certain unnamed woman in that community, when she heard that Jesus was dining there in the home of Simon, she got herself a box of perfume, and she came there, and she took her place at his feet. Now we are told that she was a prostitute. She was an open sinner. She was an individual who was an outcast in her day. 
keenest one who by her life had brought shame and disgrace upon herself in the eyes of others. She was one that everybody else looked down on. She was an individual that had given up her good name and her good reputation. She was one who again made others feel that they could look down their noses on her. She wore the stigma of the contempt of others because of her sinfulness and because of her misdeeds. As Jesus was reclining at the table then, she began to cry and she moistened his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair. And then she kissed his feet and then she took this bottle of perfume and she poured perfume on his feet. And that was just about more than Simon, the holier-than-thou individual, could stand. Within himself, he said to himself, if this fellow, namely if Jesus, if he were a real prophet, a true one, he'd have some idea and know what kind of a woman this was who was touching him. He would know that she was nothing but a prostitute, an open sinner. And Jesus read his mind, and then he turned to him and he said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And Jesus said a lot to him. But he turned to the woman, to this woman who again was an outcast, to this adulterer, uh, to this individual who was the local whore in the community. And he said to her, he said, thy sins are forgiven. He said, your faith hath made you whole. Uh, go in peace. And this morning, I would like to have all of us look at this, Jesus, somewhere up in Galilee, in the home of Simon, the holier-than-thou individual, saying to, again, this individual, this open sinner, this social outcast, this individual who had shamed and disgraced herself, this individual that had thrown her good name and reputation to the winds, this individual that was looked down upon this individual that bore the stigma of the contempt of those around her. And he said, your sins are forgiven you. We look at this Jesus this morning, we say, what's he saying to you and me? This is what he is saying from the word of God. Jesus is assuring us that he delights in forgiving open sinners when they come to him, that it's the joy of his life that it's the thrill of his soul to forgive all open sinners, the social outcasts, those who have brought shame and disgrace on themselves, those who have thrown their good name and reputation to the winds, those who have made others think that it's all right to spit on them because of their misdeeds. Jesus would assure you and me this morning that he delights in forgiving these open sinners that come to him. You and I may say, do you mean to say that Christ finds joy in forgiving open sinners who again have thrown themselves to the world and who have lost their name and their reputation, who are shamed and disgraced, who are looked down upon others, that Christ delights in forgiving them, that he doesn't hesitate, that he is not one that is unwilling to forgive that he is reluctant to forgive, and we may say, what in the world does he see in open sinners that he delights to forgive them? You and I may say, they don't deserve it. Those who are open sinners, who have shamed and disgraced themselves and brought sorrow and heartache and trouble on others, those who have thrown their good name to the winds, those again who stand and don't care how they live, 
those who have brought the scorn and the contempt of others upon themselves, you mean to say that Jesus delights and he rejoices and he is happy to forgive them? What in the world does he see in them that would be any reason to forgive open sinners, those who are looked upon with contempt because of their misdeeds by others in the world? We may say, if they don't deserve it, could it be this, that he likes the misdeeds of those that are open sinners? Does he like what they do who go out and don't care how they live, don't care what they do, don't care about the shame and disgrace that comes to them, who don't care about the stigma of the contempt that their misdeeds bring on them? What in the world does he see? in open sinners. He ought to be reluctant. He ought to be hesitant. He ought to be most unwilling to forgive open sinners, especially those who don't care. And let's look at open sinners this morning, friends. And as Jesus up there somewhere in Galilee said to an unnamed woman, your sins are forgiven. Let's know this, that he assures us that it's the delight of his life. There is nothing that he would rather do than to forgive open sinners, social outcasts, those who are looked down upon by others, those, again, who because of their misdeeds seem to give others the idea that they can look down their noses on them, and again, they carry the stigma of contempt. What good reason does Christ find in an open sinner and in the first place, Christ would remind you and me of this, that when open sinners come to him for forgiveness, he finds in them true repentance, not a shame. You may say, what in the world does the Savior find in an open sinner who has brought shame and disgrace on himself and everybody looks down on him because of the way he has lived? The thing that Jesus finds that warms his soul and that thrills him, whether you and I know it or not, when that kind of a person turns to him and wants forgiveness, Jesus rejoices that there is a true repentance that isn't a sham. How could it be anything else but a true repentance when open sinners eat it every day of their life? That individuals turn and say, I know you win. I know what you've done. I know that you've shamed and disgraced yourself. When open sinners turn to Jesus Christ and want forgiveness, there is a genuine spirit of repentance. This unnamed woman, when she was there at the feet of Jesus, she wept tears. Why, she knew she was guilty. There was no doubt about it. Here was Simon the Pharisee, and here were other Pharisees gathered in that crowd. She knew the contempt in which they held her. She was a common whore. She was a common prostitute. She knew what they thought about her. When there were tears, she knew she was guilty. No doubt about it, she had the stigma of their contempt and they looked down their noses at her. And when an individual like that turns to Jesus Christ and wants forgiveness, there is a real sense of guilt. It isn't sham. There is no rationalization saying, but I'm not very guilty. There is no feeling that, again, I've got a lot of excuse in extenuating circumstances. 
Oh, but that unnamed woman dead, she cried and she moistened his feet with her tears because she knew that she was guilty. She knew that she was lost and damned and she also knew something else that she didn't want to live that way anymore. And that's why Jesus assures you and me uh, that when open sinners come to him, when those who have shamed and disgraced themselves in the eyes of others come, it's the joy of his life to forgive. Why? Because there is a true repentance, a real sense of guilt, a real feeling of condemnation, and a real desire to amend. And therefore Christ gladly and willingly, without hesitation, forgives because he knows that these open sinners want forgiveness more than they want anything else in the world. When an open sinner who has shamed and disgraced himself and lost his name and eats it every day and even to his grave and knows that the world never forgets when he turns as this unnamed woman did to Jesus, there is a desire that that person wants more than anything else, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, take away my guilt. Lord, deliver me from the eternal punishment of my sin. Give me strength, Lord, that I may live the way you want me to live. No wonder Jesus delights because he does find a reason in open sinners, even though you and I may say, what reason would there ever be for him to delight in forgiving somebody who has shamed and disgraced himself and who has given the world the opportunity to turn and to have them in the stigma of contempt. And because Jesus does, he finds something that warms his soul, a true spirit of repentance, not a sham repentance, which so often is found in the hearts of those who are not open sinners, who turn, oh, in a sense of repentance, but never, God, I am guilty. Always, I'm just a little bit guilty. I don't deserve hell and damnation. Those are sham spirits of repentance, perhaps the kind that sometimes you and I have. And that's why today as we look at him and he says to again the unnamed woman, thy sins are forgiven thee, we ought to say to ourselves, Lord, I believe, and I am assured that it's the joy of your life to forgive open sinners, to forgive those who ashamed and disgraced themselves in the eyes of others, who have lost their good name and their good reputation, who are looked down upon, who again give others and make them think they have the right to have the stigma of contempt for them and to spit on them. When you and I believe that Christ gladly and willingly and joyously forgives open sinners, never hesitating, then we ought to determine this morning to pray for a spirit of repentance like open sinners have when they turn to him, but not by getting it the way they do in open sin. We may say to ourselves, well, if that's the way to come to a genuine repentance, that's what I'm going to do. Evidently, uh, Christ likes the open sins that these individuals do. And therefore, if I'm going to come to a true repentance, I've got to throw myself to the world. I've got to go out and throw away my name and my reputation. I've got to go out and live in open sin. I've got to go out and bring shame and disgrace on myself. Oh, no, Jesus would never want you and me to do that. 
because there's a danger on that road. I knew a young man that came to me one day, and he said, I'm worried about my mother. He says, my mother doesn't want to go to church. My mother needs no Christ in her life because she says, I don't need anybody. I'm not guilty. I, again, I'm a good person. I do right, and I live right, and I don't harm anybody. And then he said, I wish my mother would go out and commit adultery. She'd commit some open sin and shame and disgrace herself that she might come to a conviction of sin. We don't have to go out and live to the world, and we don't have to shame and disgrace ourselves in order to come to a real spirit of repentance, like again the individual who is an open sinner has when he comes to Jesus Christ, because that's dangerous. That road may lead to the sin against the Holy Ghost that you and I may never want to come back. But we can pray for that kind by looking at our lives on the basis of God's Ten Commandments. There we can see that all of us are sinners, that every one of us is guilty of eternal death and damnation because all of us have broken God's law. There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And when that kind of a genuine repentant spirit comes into your soul and mind, then we have this comfort that there's some hope for us. Oh, sometimes we look, do we not, at the open sinner, and we look again with a spirit of contempt and we look down our noses on them and we say, I remember when. And we make sure that they don't forget it as long as they live. And we wonder, how in the world can Jesus forgive them? But one day up in Galilee, someplace in the home of Simon, a holier-than-thou individual, Jesus said to one who was an open sinner, who had shamed and disgraced herself, who had drawn away her good name and her good reputation, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus would have you and me know that he rejoices to forgive the sins of open sinners that come to him because when he looks at them, there's something within them that warms his heart, that shares his soul. And you and I would say, what in the world could he ever see in an open sinner who has shamed and disgraced himself in the eyes of others, who has brought only grief and sorrow and harm to others, who again has given others the occasion to look down their noses at them, who bears the stigma of the contempt of others because of what they know. What in the world can he see that would motivate him to rejoice, to forgive, and never to hesitate, and never again to say for the moment that he would hesitate for one moment and that he would be reluctant to forgive them? Christ reminds you and me in the second place that when open sinners, those who are shamed and disgraced themselves in the eyes of others, when they come to him for forgiveness, he finds in them a genuine plea for grace and mercy, not a sham plea of grace and mercy. You may say, what's a sham plea for the grace and mercy of God? How many of us really understand what grace means? When we call for the grace and the mercy of Christ to forgive us, what does it mean? It means this. It means that you and I call and we say, Lord Jesus, I don't have one good work. I don't have one iota of merit on the basis of which you should forgive me and deliver me from guilt and eternal damnation and save me. That's what grace means. But how often in your life and mine when we turn and we pray for grace, that there is within it also a sense of our own righteousness, that we've got something good to offer him. But look at the woman when she was there bathing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. There is no 
standing on her side as she looks and says, but look at the nice things that I've done. Whenever an open sinner, one who ashamed and disgraced himself in the eyes of men, and who is looked down upon, and who has thrown his name and reputation to the winds, and bears the stigma of the contempt of individuals, whenever he turns and prays for the grace and the mercy of God, believe you me, it's a sincere one, because he knows he doesn't have any good things to offer. He's reminded of it every day of his life. There are always those who say, I knew you win. I knew what you did. And therefore, again, in this woman, there was no feeling of any righteousness. Imagine how she felt in this place, surrounded by holier-than-thou Pharisees, those, again, who thought, oh, what wonderful lives they had lived. But here she was with no sense of merit or worthiness. And because grace is the only way in which Christ forgives it's the story of God's Son that came into the world, isn't it? Who went to Calvary's cross and he bore the guilt and the punishment of all of our sins because all of us are alike guilty and none of us deserve salvation. He died on the cross just as much for you and me as he did for an open sinner. And therefore, why? Because you and I have no righteousness of ourselves. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And in that sacrifice on the cross, he bore a 100% righteousness for all men because no man ever attains unto any righteousness whatsoever whereby he can be saved. Is it any wonder then that Jesus gladly assures us that it's the delight of his soul to forgive an open sinner when an open sinner comes, regardless of how they ashamed and disgraced themselves and regardless of how indeed they carry the stigma of the, again, the contempt of their individuals who were around them. Jesus says, when they turn to me, there is a call for grace. And in this woman, unnamed, there was a call for grace and mercy. She had no basis on which to stand except the grace of Jesus. She had heard him, surely. And here was one that would bring to sinners the forgiveness of sins, deliverance from eternal death and damnation, and assure them of eternal life. Here was Simon the Pharisee. Oh, what wonderfully proud individual he was, filled with self-righteousness. Again, he had so much he thought could offer God, and therefore there was no plea of grace. And therefore, no wonder Christ gladly forgives open sinners, the social outcasts, those who have shamed and disgraced themselves in the eyes of individuals, those who bear the stigma of the contempt of individuals and will to their dying day. No wonder Christ says, I gladly forgive you. It's the joy of my life, unhesitatingly. I do it willingly and gladly, without reluctance whatsoever. Why? Why, because there's a genuine plea for grace. And it's the only way in which you and I are saved. And whenever there is a plea for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, then again, Jesus Christ, he gladly and willingly forgives because that means that that person has put his faith in Christ and in his righteousness alone for the forgiveness of sins. How else are you and I forgiven? Isn't it again by a real plea for the grace of Christ for his 100% righteousness to cover up our guilt? That's the way in which you and I are forgiven, isn't it? And that's the way in which the outcast is forgiven too. Because, you see, there is a likeness, whether your sins and mine show or not, whether we are dirty-faced individuals, whether our slips show or not, in the sight of God, there isn't any difference between the open sinner and the sinner. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Yet isn't it strange that sometimes we back up as Simon the Pharisee, how in the world can Christ gladly and willingly and joyously forgive open sinners, those that have shamed and disgraced themselves, those who have by their lives brought harm and nothing but all kinds of misery to others and those who again have brought upon themselves the stigma of the contempt of individuals and are looked down upon and others seemingly have the right to spit in their faces. What in the world could he find in them? Jesus, why he finds in those individuals, he finds reasons that warm his soul. There you find a real plea for grace. Therefore, when you and I can believe that, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to be very careful in my life. I'm going to be careful the attitude that I have towards open sinners who come to Jesus for forgiveness. How often when open sinners come, you and I stand back like Simon the Pharisee and we say, imagine that bird coming to Jesus Christ. Imagine that individual. You and I like to withdraw, don't we, holier than thou. We ought to realize that Jesus spoke about this one day and he said there's going to be some surprises at the end of time. When he comes again, he said, this is going to be the surprise that he said, harmongers, adulterers, prostitutes, tax collectors, open sinners, he said, will go into the kingdom of God, the last ones that you and I would ever think. And the ones that we think would go in... Those who are not guilty of open sin, he said, shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What surprise. Oh, let's not let it be a tragic surprise in your life and mine. That as we stand in life and we look at the open sinners and we say they don't deserve to be saved. No, they don't, but neither do you and I. We say to ourselves, how in the world can Christ gladly and joyously forgive them? Jesus says, watch out. When I come again, don't let this be the tragedy of your life. That you see the open sinners enter into the kingdom of God and you see yourself cast out. That would be the tragedy of tragedies, wouldn't it? One day up in Galilee in an unnamed city and an unnamed woman in the home of Simon, the holier-than-thou individual, the Pharisee, Jesus spoke some wonderful words. He said to this woman who was an open sinner, she knew it and everybody else knew it, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. And you and I say, what in the world does he see when he looks at open sinners? Those despicable individuals that shame and disgrace themselves, those that go out and throw their good name and their reputation to the winds, those that go out and don't care what they do to individuals who again carry the stigma of the contempt of individuals to their dying day, who make other people feel that they've got a perfect right to spit on them because they are open social outcasts. And Jesus loves and rejoices to forgive them. Yes, he does. Why? Because, you see, he sees things in them that you and I don't see. He sees every reason. He reminds you and me in the third place that when open sinners come to him for forgiveness, he also sees in them a true spirit of the appreciation of the forgiveness of sins. How much does an individual appreciate the forgiveness of his sins when he has a little sense of guilt 
and when he is stuck up with a sense of righteousness like Simon the Pharisee. Jesus knows that when one who is an open sinner comes to him, who knows that he's guilty and lost and damned and knows that it's only by Christ's grace alone that he is forgiven, Jesus knows that because he's got so much to be forgiven, that there's a great sense of appreciation. What was wrong with Simon? He says, if he, this fellow was a real prophet, he'd know what kind of a woman this was. Jesus looked at him and he said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He was right to the point. He said, Simon, there was a man that had two debtors. He said, one owed him $100 and the other one owed him $10. And he said, because neither one could pay, forgave them both. And he said, which one do you think loves him the more? Well, Simon unhesitatingly and yet with a bit of hesitation, he said, well, I suppose the one who had the greatest debt forgiven. She said, you're right, Simon. Then he said, now, there's the one that appreciated, the one that had the greatest debt forgiven. Now he says, pointing to the woman, he said, look at her. He says, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. If you've ever been in the Holy Land, I'm telling you, that's something. The first thing you do when you come in off the street is to wash your feet because they are dirty and they are dusty up to your knees. And he said, you never even gave me as much as water to wash my feet. But he said, what did this woman do? She has washed my feet with her tears and dried my feet with her hair. He said, you didn't give me the customary kisses of guests in your home, but she has been kissing my feet ever since I've been in here and that she came to me. And he said, you didn't anoint my head with oil, which normally you do when you have a guest. And she's been anointing my feet with the oil that she brought. And he says, therefore, look at the love and the appreciation that she has. Why? Which is evidence that her sins are forgiven. Let me tell you, open sinners, when they are forgiven, they say, Oh, how I appreciate and love you. You had a lot of forgiving to do, Lord, when you forgave me. And there was a heart filled with gratitude. Is it any wonder that Jesus delights in forgiving open sinners? Because, believe you me, there's a genuine appreciation an open sinner because he's reminded of every day of his life by those that look down their noses at him and won't let them forget it. He realizes that there was a lot of forgiving necessary and Jesus did it. And whoa, what great joy. And therefore, no wonder Christ, when he looks at an open sinner, he finds, oh, so many tremendously good reasons to forgive because he knows that open sinners who have been forgiven, they'll find that eternity is going to be just a little bit too short to keep on thanking him that he saved them. Open sinners appreciate what it means to be saved. They appreciate what it means in spite of individuals looking down their noses. And again, in spite of carrying the stigma of the contempt of individuals to their graves, that they know that they've been forgiven. They've been saved. They've been washed cleaner and whiter than snow in the blood of Jesus Christ the Lamb. What a Christ you and I a sea up in Galilee, again, kind of a Christ that sometimes those not guilty of open sin fail to realize that he rejoices. It's the joy of his life, it's the thrill of his existence to forgive open sinners, those who have shamed and disgraced themselves when they come to him because he sees in the hearts of these individuals things that sometimes you and I don't see. And it ought to mean this then, bringing it down in your life and mine, if there is someone here this morning who is suffering because of the stigma of open sin, if you don't feel at home in church, 
you feel that people don't like to sit very close to you. If you are wondering, does Christ gladly forgive somebody who has shamed and disgraced himself? I don't care what it is that you've done, but are you hesitant? May I say to you this morning, never hesitate a moment. Christ assures us, as he did in Galilee centuries ago, that it's the joy of his life to forgive open sinners. There's nothing he'd rather do. Oh, because, again, he realizes that open sinners, reminded of their misdeeds every day of their life to their dying day, that they know what true repentance is. They know what a true plea of grace is. They know what an appreciation really means to be forgiven, to be saved, not to be lost. Jesus says, you can come to me, I gladly forgive. Who was this unnamed woman? You know, we always like to find out. Some say, well, wasn't she a, a Mary of Bethany? And because there is a story, you know, about Mary of Bethany, that she anointed the feet of Jesus. But that was several years later. This one occurred up in Galilee. A Mary of Bethany lived down in Judea, and she was not an adulteress. She was not an open sinner, so it could not have been this Mary. And then there are those who feel that it was Mary Magdalene. And you may wonder why, if the Bible doesn't mention who it is, why are there some who believe that it was Mary Magdalene? The reason is this. This account occurs in the seventh chapter of Luke. And in the eighth chapter, this is about the end of the chapter, in the very beginning of the eighth chapter, uh, there is a woman mentioned for the first time in Luke, and it's Mary Magdalene. And we are told in the beginning of the eighth chapter that Jesus went about in Galilee preaching the kingdom of God, and the disciples with him, and some women followed them to take care of them. And one was Mary Magdalene. There are those who say, since Luke now mentions this person, Mary Magdalene, that perhaps she was the unnamed person. Now, Scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene was a demoniac, that Christ drove out seven devils from her, but it doesn't say that she was an adulteress, that she was a prostitute. But that's why fallen women who have turned to Christ are sometimes called Magdalenes. And I'm sure Mary Magdalene wouldn't object, but we don't know who this individual is. And I think it's good that we don't, because we can say, Jesus says, who is it? Anybody, if again they're looking down their noses on you, if again you're bearing the stigma of, again, misspent things that you've done, Jesus says, don't hesitate to come. I'll gladly forgive you. I'll gladly wash your soul whiter than snow. I will gladly give you life and eternal salvation. And oh, when we can come knowing that that's the kind of a Christ he is, uh, that he doesn't look down his nose on us regardless of what we've done. But when we come, he says, Oh, I will gladly forgive you and gloriously reinstate you and bring you into my kingdom. Then there comes that joy of serenity and all oh, the surprise of what the love of Christ becomes in the lives of those who have been open sinners and have come back for repentance. You know, sometimes I am amazed at the love, just like in this woman. What tremendous love there was because Christ forgave her, kissing his feet and anointing it with oil. She had found forgiveness in him. It was the joy of her life. I'm amazed at the joy that I find in those who have, again, been open sinners and come back. I remember one time in my ministry early here, I preached the funeral in a home. And after the funeral, a man came up to me in the home and he I brightened up and he said, 
I'm going to come to your church. And I took that as something, well, that's nice. He was trying to make me feel good. But the next Sunday he was here. He came every Sunday. And as I got to know him, I realized here was one again. His friends looked down on him. He had shamed and disgraced himself. And he came into this church and I was amazed and have always been with him of the love that came to that man's heart for Jesus Christ. I was walking with him one day on South Main Street and the third person came up. And as we were talking, this man introduced me to him and said, this is my minister. And then he said, I'd like to invite you to our church some Sunday and to come and hear the word of God. And this third man that came up looked at my friend and he said, you want to invite me to church? You? The way you've lived? You inviting me to church? And oh, this new member, he beamed and he said, you don't know what Christ means to me. He said, I, yes, I'm inviting you to church. He said, I've got an appointment with him every Sunday. And he said, if I wasn't there to meet, he said, by Wednesday I'd be back in the gutter. It's been a joy in that family that it started with drunkenness and it went to everything. That every year on the day when drunkenness was no longer a part of that life, he and his wife had a birthday cake to themselves. And I remember one day when he said, Preach, today is the seventh birthday of my new life. I was with you when he died. And he lay there with a smile, with a love to Christ that was an amazing thing. And he said, I'm not afraid. He said, I've got a better home upstairs. And he smiled, and that's the way it was. And I remember when I was called to see the prostitute of the village where I first served, a woman that had brought shame and disgrace on herself. And I've always been amazed at what love can come for Christ in the hearts of those who come find forgiveness. Again, she found, oh, it was so hard to believe. She said to me, uh, well, I have to be buried like the dogs. Could just say something over my grave. Then she looked at me and said, do you think God in heaven would have room for an adulteress? I've lived with a man 20 years. He was not my husband. I'm shamed and disgraced. I'm venereal. I'm syphilitic. Could God have room in heaven for me? Thank God for the story of the unnamed woman. I assured her that it was the joy of Jesus Christ. Again, to forgive those who come. And she came. She was confirmed. And I remember that the day came when she had to be moved to the infirmary because she couldn't take care of herself. She went out to the infirmary and the superintendent of the infirmary there told me, he said, it's an amazing thing what that woman means out here. He said, talk about a love and appreciation of Christ in her own kind way. He said, she's a light out here. And when the day came when she was dying, she looked at me and she smiled and she said, I'm going to heaven. And she says, don't forget, Reverend, I'll meet you in heaven. I'll never forget as long as I live. I've got to get to heaven because the prostitute of Eaton, Ohio is there. She's waiting. She knew her Lord. When we buried her, it was out in the infirmary cemetery. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. It was a bright, sunshiny summer day. No relatives at all, just a few from the infirmary. We stood there in Potter's Field, in God's Acre, 
And I would have traveled halfway around the world to have been there for that day that she wasn't buried like the dogs. To be able to stand and to say, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It's an amazing thing what love comes into the hearts and lives of open sinners who come to Jesus Christ. What serenity. And oh, listen, friend, if again you feel that everybody looks down on you, you can ask him to forgive. And oh, the joy and the love will be something you can walk the glory road. There can be contentment and serenity. You can sing one of the songs that I love because of the spirit of serenity in it. And it goes something like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear that is falling near upon my heart discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share is we carry there none other has ever known that's serenity friend that's the kind of a Christ we have I hope you can go down to your house this morning forgiven, joyous, contented. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.